Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following article is from the October 2006 Fraternal Review. How Does Freemasonry Add Value to Our Lives? by Tim Bryce, Past Master. Undoubtedly, the most visible benefit associated with Freemasonry is the friendship, morality, and brotherly love we learn simply by attending Lodge and interacting with the members. It is not unusual for Freemasons to develop lifelong friendships and bonds with other Masons. This should not be surprising, as the fraternity represents a society consisting of men with common interests, and such commonality is comforting to us all. Aside from this, how does Freemasonry add value to our lives? Frankly, there are several subliminal ways we are affected personally and professionally by our participation in the fraternity. Some examples. Socialization skills. Through the structured decorum of our formal meetings and the informality of others, we learn to respect, cooperate, participate, and network with other people. In other words, it influences our behavior in terms of how we interact with our neighbors, friends, co-workers, customers, and vendors. This tends to make us more socially adjusted and proactive in our communities and companies. Speaking and memorization skills. Our catechisms and degree work, although trying at times, helps sharpen our brains as well as our tongues. Although our terminology may seem somewhat archaic, it is useful for improving one's vocabulary. Further, returning catechisms and delivering degrees and lectures helps overcome the human fear of audiences and materially assists in making us better public speakers, something that is particularly needed in our professional lives regardless of our occupation. Dress. Again, because of the decorum of our meetings, we learn the value of dressing appropriately to cultivate a positive image. I have met several brothers who have cleaned up their acts simply by their association with the fraternity, thereby turning a slovenly image into one that is more positive and professional. Organization and leadership. For those members who become lodge officers, it is not uncommon to learn basic organization and leadership skills, such as planning and scheduling, managing records and finances, building maintenance, communications, and persuasion. All of this is useful to us in both our personal and professional lives. History. As the world's oldest fraternal organization, we impress the need for customs and traditions on all of our members. But beyond this, many Masons become fascinated with our history and learn to research and write on a variety of subjects related to the fraternity. Masons, therefore, appreciate the lessons of history and develop effective writing skills which also help us in the outside world. Volunteerism. Our philanthropy is legendary, and it is impressed on every Mason to help others as generously as their ability permits. Aside from the monies we donate, Masons learn to volunteer their time to assist others, knowing if they help another, they may expect assistance from others in return. This concept alone is in sharp contrast to today's dog-eat-dog -dog corporate culture. Basically, Masons learn a little kindness can go a long way. Negotiation skills. In order to persuade people to move in a specific direction, lodge officers must learn how to negotiate with others. Such skills are vital, not only in our professional lives, but also in our personal lives as well.
The following article is from the October 2006 Fraternal Review. The Nature of Masonry by Jerry W. Carter III. What is masonry really? Is it simply a men's eating and drinking club, or is it something more significant? How could 18th century masonry be understood by masons then or now as not much more than an innocuous men's club? This perspective is the source of a nagging question for some contemporary masons. Can it really be taken seriously? It seems inconceivable that Masons could step back from a past of high standards, divine inspiration, and intellectual preeminence to become an inconsequential and self-serving social organization. Masonry, without doubt, was once the most productive and formative human force in the destiny of mankind. When the Reverend Dr. James Anderson published the Constitutions of the Freemasons in 1723, the idea began to emerge that Masonic bodies were only men's eating and drinking clubs. Rather than accept that as fact, we might wonder whether it was not an exaggerated criticism intended to hide the serious work of masonry. Whether it was a criticism or not, that appears to apply to present-day masonry. How often have we heard great food trumpeted as the only description of a missed lodge meeting? There appears indeed to be a glaring incongruity between masonry of the past and what masonry is today. It appears to some to be little more than a social club for men where easy charity is exercised investment into future of humanity is limited, and urgent matters of national and world health are either not discussed or glibly brushed over. Current practices, in most cases, do stand at odds with the spiritual values, mindset designs, and actions of the past. Standing in stark contrast to the concept of a men's social club, Anderson's Constitutions was the most important statement Masonry had made about itself up to that time. Years of collection and analysis of ancient secret Masonic documents were synthesized into one volume. The Constitutions was a guide to Masonic wisdom and history, a consolidation of the wisdom of eminent scientists, scholars, and theologians. Considering the quality and the source of the information contained in the Constitutions, it is indeed curious that such a bland men's club picture remains, for many, the image of Masonry. It is also curious that Anderson's Constitutions is still unknown to most longtime Masons, and for those who have heard about it, at least in the Americas and Europe, it is regarded merely as a historic curiosity which few have read or understand. Now, about three centuries after the publication and distribution of Anderson's Constitutions, the main concern of contemporary Masonry is focused on the sharp decline of membership and lodge closings. It is mystifying and alarming to many Masons that only a few men enter Masonry, and of those who do, still fewer remain to fill an ever-declining number of lodges. The fact is, there are a growing number of men in our society who are obviously unsatisfied seekers. With their interest piqued by recent scholarly and theatrical presentations about Masonry, they enter into our lodges with high expectations as they work to reach their objective to become a part of Masonry that is rich with meaning and significance, These new members, however, soon learn that masonry has become more and more bland and less relevant in increasingly stressful contemporary conditions. Moreover, contemporary masons are encouraged not to compare the masonry of history with masonry now. Some apparently fear that in this comparison we would suffer greatly, for the masonry of late has not been able to attract or support the modern equivalents of de Sagalier, da Vinci, Newton, or Mozart. Instead of embracing our past, we turn away from our greatest asset and in the process discourage the very unusual minds that could tremendously benefit both our society and masonry. Time rushes by. Now is the moment for American masonry to look more closely at the totality of masonry's achievements, 
and then to honestly evaluate our relevance today. We should look at ourselves in masonry, not in terms of just our current state, but in light of the foundation our predecessors laid out for us, half shrouded in secrets and code for us to discover again so we may rebuild the temple. To assess of our own relevance, we must first realize that our spectacular present-day technological and materialistic progress has mesmerized us and has obscured the glorious and profound achievements of man's mind over past millennia. Our now, which consumes our attention, is actually but a small segment of a time continuum comparable to the fulcrum of a limitless timeline balanced upon the apex of a pyramid. In this continuum are past Masonic accomplishments of the mind, which were translated into a concrete reality that has indelibly shaped the world in which we exist today. Consider, for instance, the important construction of masons in the centuries past, such as the perfectly aligned and symmetrical pyramids, the magnificent cathedrals soaring to heaven with stone spires, the numerous and widespread magnificent castles and great mansions. Consider the system of constitutional democracy which masons had such a strong hand in creating and maintaining. Within the ageless Masonic presence, there exists the supreme commitment for genius to convey a divine expansion of consciousness to mankind. The light referred to in Masonry is the inexplicable inspiration and transmission of the divine into artists who received light and translated it into concrete experiences, which could be shared of with attuned audiences in the conventional world. This perception that there is a divine force acting in all of us, though more strongly in some, is unbelievable to many. However, there is historical testimony to divine inspiration in the Renaissance and several hundred years that followed it. During that period, science, art, and the divine were not distinguishable as separate entities as they are today. They existed in the Renaissance mind as one and inseparable. It is important for Masons today to recognize the significance of both Masonry and our brethren in the quantum jumps that were made in the past. It was the unique and imaginative minds of Masons who were allowed to nurture and practice their special craft, who led civilization forward in great leaps and bounds. It was Masonry that provided the opportunity for the blossoming of this tremendous potential. It is easy to forget the Masons of bygone time who invented the foundational information, vision, and tools required for the development of modern society that we enjoy. Without the contributions of Masons of the past, many of the conveniences of modern life would not be available. Without the work of Masons in the past, we might not have the educational system we have benefited from. Feudal states might still battle one another, and democracy might only be a footnote in history. The success of Masonry and its contributions to humanity are so great that it is nearly impossible for the human mind to step back far enough to see the entirety of its significance. Masonry has had long periods when significant material wealth fed the greatest intellectual and aesthetic achievements. With the backing and partnering of Masonry, small groups of individual brothers working in obscure areas of research created unimaginably successful physical manifestations of Masonic presence and provided the basis of much that we know and rely on in our modern lives. Now is the right time to re-establish Masonic relevance. It is time to open up those books, discussions, and ideas that so much concerned our Masonic predecessors. Today, Masonry can move from easy charity to the more meaningful concept of investing in the most valuable resource humanity has ever had, the genius of the human mind. The choice is ours. We can make Masonry relevant if we are determined to give priority to the intellectual and spiritual resources of our best minds, and we'll share that which we surely will find.
the following article is from the October 2006 Fraternal Review. Written by Norm Leeper, the editor. How often have we sat in lodge during a degree and wondered about the thoughts of a candidate? The first thing that comes to my mind is the wonderment that must be going through his head, especially in the first degree. Anyone who has ever served as a marshal or steward must have observed the tension in the eyes and face of the candidate, and this is only the beginning. To say that the candidate is concerned is really an understatement of fact. Then comes the degree itself. Lofty and prayerful words are delivered in a language from the time of Shakespeare. A noble intent to be sure, but under the circumstances of the candidate, one must wonder at the questions flooding the initiate's mind. Much is made clear to the candidate at the end of the degree, but just about the time he is feeling comfortable, he has sat on a chair and lectured in similar language as before. Now think about what's going on in the candidate's head. Truly think about it. The candidate has just had an extraordinary experience. Words and concepts have been told to him in a fast and puzzling manner. An explanation is given him in an unusual manner and fashion, and after about an hour he is seated among his new friends eating pie. We have all gone through the same thing, and as far as I know, none have suffered the worst for it. Our experiences are our own, and while we are pleased to become a Mason and proud to be a member of the fraternity, what happens next? What has the candidate obtained besides good feelings that he can take with him? It is after the pie and coffee that the lessons of Freemasonry are taught to the candidate. If these lessons are delayed, if contact with the candidate is not maintained, if a strong program of Masonic education is not implemented, then the chances of losing that candidate are greatly increased. Let's face it, the initiatic experience is the cornerstone of Freemasonry. Education is the superstructure erected after the cornerstone. Education is the time to assimilate the new brother into the lodge and into the fraternity. The superstructure of a Mason's Masonic edifice must not be left to chance. It is the duty of the lodge, far greater than laying the cornerstone, to implement the building of that superstructure. It may even be more important than the conferral. The words that were so profound when spoken at conferral must be explained and discussed with the candidate. It's time to form and shape the Mason. The following article is from the April 2008 Southern California Research Lodge magazine. The Warrior Poet by G. Cliff Porter, 32nd degree. Remember a time when a man could dance the tango, quote Shakespeare, hold the door for a lady, and hold his own in a fight? I don't. I'm a Gen Xer. The generation of fatherless sons who have learned mixed ideas about manhood, being either that of a man who wears pink polo shirts and cries at lots of movies, or some hyper-machismo blockhead who goes through life kicking and punching. So in comes the lost art of masonry. Chisel and maul in hand, the speculative craft seeks to hone men from the rough stone of youth, uncertainty, and intolerance. Masonry raises warrior poets, a man that can hug his brother, pray with a widow, and wield a sword. The man who received little in the way of training in discourse is taught to stand up and lodge, provide a detailed plan, and make a motion for an idea that he believes could benefit the lodge and his brothers. He practices rhetoric in explaining the progression of his theory. He practices logic in refining his theory when presented with obstacles that prove correct and help to improve the idea. He moves through the chairs and one day wields the gavel of authority, and, in doing so, he learns the necessity of humility and discretion. The obligations are not for those of a weak spine. They teach the necessity for a gentle spirit in caring for widows and orphans, 
at the same time recognizing the necessity for action, allowing that we should not strike in anger, providing the whispered message that the ability to strike is one of the working tools of a mason. We are taught that strength in spirit and courage in faith, hope, and charity are more powerfully wielded by a man of his word than the sword of metal by a despotic man or government. We learn to appreciate art and recognize the downfalls and pleasures of power as we are faced with the dangers of mob rule, organized orthodoxy, and misguided desires in our Master Mason degree. At the same time, the road is perilous and we are confronted with the need for real courage in the face of physical danger. We are taught of the need for physical consequences for weakness of spirit in the penalties inflicted upon these unjust and uncaring fellows of the craft. We learn that an apology is correct, but that it does not negate the requirement for justice. We are taught the art of the warrior poet, my friends. Educate yourselves so that we can educate others. Arm a society with a sort of truth and public education against the tyranny of despotism, whether material or spiritual. And this article was originally published in the April-March 2008 Scottish Rite Journal. The following article is from the January 2006 Fraternal Review. Happy New Year! May the year 6006 AL be the best ever. The Masonic expression of the year is to add 4,000 to the current year. Thus, it will be 6006 come January 1st. This number is followed by the designation AL, meaning the year of light, which in turn references the creation of the earth some 6,006 years ago. Reflecting on this led me to think of past events. I became captivated by the thoughts of syndicated columnist David Brooks, where the thrust of his column was that we, as a people, are moving into an age of skepticism. World War I destroyed the old social order in Europe and disillusioned a generation of Americans. World War II brought unity and self-confidence to America, the greatest generation. Vietnam triggered a counterculture of which we are still feeling the results. The jury is still out on the effect Iraq may have on Americans, but one thing seems clear. We just don't have the same trust in our institutions that we older folks are used to. Pick a subject. Medicine, law, politics, education, government, media. No matter. We accept what we have to, but more likely than not, we aren't sure we're secure with what we see and hear in everyday matters. I think David Brooks is right. We are getting to be a bunch of skeptics. And isn't the fundamental reason for this general doubt the feeling that not all is right? That maybe our institutions lack the same ethics we expect of ourselves? And therein lies the point. Freemasonry has a certain moral standard. It is a constant, having stood the test of time for hundreds of years. Its principles are very definable, yet applicable in different ways to different Masons, as each individual endeavors to emulate the lessons he has taught. Maybe our craft gives us a conscience to keep our compass heading in the right direction. It is my belief that we are beginning to see a revival of ethics in America. It is apparent in the increased degree work in our lodges. What is refreshing is that we are seeing younger men applying for admission into our order. I also believe that it is a reaction to the feeling of skepticism. American culture is far too optimistic to be pushed down by the cynicism of the skeptic. We are a positive people, and that is what makes our culture so desirable to others. Freemasonry, too, is a positive force. It is perhaps one of the few forces available to challenge the public angst, to do battle with a concept so alien to our society, that of a secularized culture that lacks respect for the institutions that have made America great. Perhaps the way we as Freemasons express the date is another example of the symbolism of Masonry. Could it be that the principles of Masonry put us 4,000 years ahead of the rest of the world?
Written by Norm Leeper, Past Master, Editor. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.